With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God biblical instructional program this program is for those who want to believe the following scripture let's turn to isaiah chapter 66 isaiah chapter 66 verse 2 read this in the king james version for all those things have my hand made and all those things have been says the lord but to this man will i look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. Let's look up the word poor. In the original Hebrew, in this scripture, it means one. It means uh, lowly, needy, afflicted. All right? And of a contrite spirit means lame spirit. You don't have a prideful spirit. So you have to be someone who uh, has a, a poor spirit, humble be willing to listen. And then the word trembleth in the original Greek means charade, and it means to be fearful, to be fearful at his word. Those are the kind of people that God looks at and recognizes. He doesn't recognize people who think they know everything. Uh, they get taught by a, a Torah teacher for only maybe a year, and all of a sudden they can teach the Torah teacher uh, he, he doesn't look at folks like that. It's going to take more than a year, folks, to, to really understand the Bible to, enough to be able to teach it to other people, especially when you uh, are working full-time jobs and you have kids and all that. Uh, it's going to take time uh, for you to understand the Scriptures well enough to teach it. And the Bible warns about we all should be teachers by our example, but I'm talking about being teachers as far as doing what I'm doing, also writing, um, not everybody has those abilities, ladies and gentlemen. James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, My brethren, be not many masters, okay, and that word masters means teacher or instructors, in the original Greek, 
knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Okay, so you got to be careful if you want to be a teacher. Realize what you're getting yourself into. We're going to have, and I do have, the greater condemnation or larger condemnation, okay, uh, So or judgment. So you, you, you certainly don't want to have that unless, of course, God is giving you the ability the ability to uh, to write, to speak in a clear and concise way. So be careful what you desire, and you have to be realistic. Not everybody are writers. Just like not everybody uh, can do other things. Everyone has different skills and abilities. But we should all seek to to teach by example. Uh, Matthew chapter five tells us this. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. And verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That's the ultimate way. That's one of the best ways to teach is by your example, not by what you say. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are all capable of teaching that way. But there's only a select few that are capable of teaching uh, like I'm doing, um, doing a radio program. Uh, I, I write. I'm going to get back into updating my blog, uh, my newsletter. I've been a little late with that because of some issues. Um, I that's what I do, and I continuously study the word to write and convey to the people, to the assembly that I'm associated with, God's truth. So I just wanted to, to point that out. Uh, today we're going to talk about how to keep the Shabbat. Uh, this is a good program for those who have been deceived into thinking that uh, Sunday is the, the day, or, or the, the Shabbat, it is not. Uh, if you look at the dictionary, uh, God tells us that the seventh day is a day of rest. Well, in the dictionary, under Saturday, it says it's the seventh day of the week. And Sunday is the first day of the week, so you have to ask your question, well, why do ministers teach that uh, the Sabbath is Sunday? Well, it's, it's a long story, but uh, to shorten it... Uh, the reason why is because you've been deceived into thinking that the seventh day of the week is Sunday and it's not. So anyway, uh, we're going to get into that today on this program uh, about how to keep the Shabbat, why you should keep it, what does it represent, etc. Uh, because there's some false doctrines or teachings going around. I know in the Messianic uh, communities that uh, Holy Convocation Leviticus 23, verse 3, doesn't mean what it's saying. And uh, that's going to be cleared up definitely today in this program. And anybody who is a Messianic uh, believer that's listening to this, please, and if you believe what God says in his word about assembling, that it's a, it's a requirement to assemble with like-minded believers like Yeshua did in Luke 4, verse 16, please social media this and pass it on to other people so they can get undeceived about this, because this is a, a doctrine that's coming up 
that is causing division. One of the major reasons why there's division among the assembly, and this is a reason, one of the major reasons why the people that God leads them to, the Torah teachers that do believe correctly that you should assemble, and the people that that are drawn to these Torah teachers in their local area to get to get fed. They stop being fed from these Torah teachers when they go off on the Internet and they read articles that are deceptive and and teaches them not to assemble like they're commanded to. Then then they start stop getting fed. Just like First um, Corinthians chapter four. Let's let's go to that here real quick. First Corinthians chapter four, starting in verse 15, and this is something that I've encountered with my ministry, and I'm sure other Torah teachers can identify with this. It says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Now, it says, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And this is basically what I'm telling uh, people that that I that God uh, sends to me. He sends these people to me. I, I um, advertise, and is at my own cost. I, you know, I, of course, I uh, would appreciate your donations to help me continue to do this. But I do advertise on uh, social social media tools. I'm going to be expanding that advertising to to get this message out, and then people that respond to it, uh, they are drawn to me. Hold your place here, First Corinthians four, verse fifteen. Let me go to John chapter six. John chapter 6, verse 44, tells us this. It says, um, John 6, verse 44, No man can come to me, the Messiah. No man can come to the Messiah except the Father which has sent me draw him. So this, this is how it works. The Father chooses people to understand the Messiah. Now, how does he do that? Does he come down and say, uh, Kennard, wake up from your spiritual drunkenness. Uh, I want you to know the truth now. No, he doesn't do that. What he does is draw you to a Torah teacher in your local area or perhaps over the Internet, depending on your situation, that understands the the the, uh, the teachings. Now, if he draws you to someone in your local area, common sense to tell you you should fellowship with that individual if you can fellowship and have an assembly with that Torah teacher. You should do that. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to get the proper education that you need because God drew you to that individual in the local area. All right? So I, I hope you understand that. And the people say, well, uh, the Holy Spirit teaches me and all that. Yeah, the Holy Spirit teaches you. But the Holy Spirit, let's, let's, again, let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So this is saying basically there's there's like over 2 billion people in the world right now that hasn't even heard of the name of Jesus. And so those people, of course, they have yet to, to believe on Jesus because they've never heard of him. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? I just said that. <laughs> and how shall they hear without a preacher? I, I'm getting people telling me that we don't need you, Kennard. We don't need you as a Torah teacher. Uh, the Holy Spirit will do everything for for us. Well, no, the Holy Spirit works through 
the preacher, ladies and gentlemen. And then verse 15, how shall they preach except they be sent? When people are drawn to me, God is sending the Torah teacher to you, to teach you. And if you reject that Torah teacher, you are really doing yourself an injustice because you're not going to be properly fed. And that is one of the goals of a Torah teacher, ladies and gentlemen, is to teach and feed you the Word of God. And and it's like none of you, of course, don't want to stop eating, right? Because when you you stop eating, you, you start hurting, right? You start to to feel bad, right? Well, spiritually, it's, it's the same way. If you don't get fed spiritually, you're not going to feel good as a person. You're not going to think properly, and, and, and you're going to make certain decisions that aren't right. And you're, and you're not going to be able to understand the Bible properly, ladies and gentlemen. First uh, Peter chapter 5. Verse 1, I'm one of the elders of the end-time assembly of Yah, or God, which is scattered around the world. It says, 1 Peter 5, verse 1, The elders which are among you, I exhort whom am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Yeshua, and also a partake of the glory he shall, that shall be revealed. Now notice that Peter is an apostle, but yet he's an elder. An elder is, is um, a leader in the assembly, although those leaders have different gifts and, and functions. Anyway, verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you. Okay, so that's my responsibility is to feed the flock of God which is among me. The flock that's among me is the people in the Columbus area. Now, I do have a few people, actually one person right now, um, that I shepherd, and he's in another state. But generally, the majority of people that I'm shepherding now um are either people that, that listen to me on this program and they don't email me or don't communicate with me, which I suggest you start doing if you're really serious about this walk. I could uh, give you information and feed you there and and train you to be an elder in your area so that you can set up your own uh, assembly there. But you need training for you to be able to do that. But anyway, feed the flock of God. That's if you're even qualified, first of all, to to be a teacher, because some people aren't. Anyway, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy, uh, not for money. Let me translate this in another. Let me put this into another uh, version. Uh, it'll be easier to understand. The 1965 Bible in basic English version states in First Peter 5, verse 2, Keep watch over the flock of God which is in your care, using your authority, not as forced to do so, but gladly, and not for unclean profit, but with a ready mind, and not as lords over God's heritage, but making yourselves examples of the flock. The contemporary English version states, Just as shepherds watch over their sheep, you must watch over everyone God is placing in your care. Do it willingly in order to please God and not simply because you think you must. And that's what I want to do. I want to do it willingly because I want to please God. Let it be something you want to do instead of something you do merely to make money. And that's, you know, I'm not doing this. this is, I'm not in it for the money, folks. Verse 3, don't be bossy because, you know, everything that I offer is free. But, we you know, we do accept your donations. Uh, don't be bossy to those people who are in your care, but set an example for them. In verse 4, then when Christ the chief shepherd returns, you will be given a crown that will never lose his glory. 
And so anyway, uh, the elders also are identified in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, as being uh, people who teach you God's message. Hebrews 13, verse 7, the word leaders in the King James Version is elders, but it says, don't forget about your leaders who taught you God's message. And that's what's going on with me here locally a little bit is, is well, actually not a little bit. They are forgetting me. I taught them God's message, and they're forgetting. Don't forget about your leaders who taught you God's message. Remember what kind of lives they lived and try to have faith like theirs. Now, this is another satanic attitude that's going around, I know, in this area, is that it appears that a Torah teacher has to be perfect for them to respect them and learn from them. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. As long as that Torah teacher acknowledges his mistakes through the Bible, if you show him that he's wrong through the Bible and he corrects himself and says, hey, I repent, then you're required to continue to respect that Torah teacher and to obey that Torah teacher's authority, which is the authority of the Word of God, not his own authority. Okay, so in Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says, 17, obey your leaders, the elders, and do what they say. They are watching over you, and they must answer to God. So don't make them sad as they do their work. And unfortunately, I've been, I'm sad right now. I'm really sad because some little babies, I think I wouldn't even call them little babies. I would call them embryos right now uh, and, and Messiah. They have cut off their umbilical cord. And so I'm sad. He says, make them happy. Otherwise, they won't be able to help you at all. And then the King James Version says it won't be profitable for you. And so I can't help these little embryos that have been cut off. And I hope they are listening to this message and they think about repenting because they certainly need to repent. They certainly aren't going to get the kind of teaching unless God is merciful to them and finds them someone else that, that knows what they're talking about. And that's possible, and I hope he does. But they need to stop. They need to humble themselves. Only by pride comes contention. And you need to humble yourself and realize, hey, I need to be taught. I don't know certain things. I don't know certain things. And that's a problem with, with, with people um, in, in this walk and in life. You don't want to get to the point where you can't humble yourself as a little child. And... Uh, let me just read this in Matthew 18, verse 1. And at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And verse 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted. That word converted in the Greek means to turn, to teshuva, to repent. Teshuva in Hebrew means to repent. And become as little children. Little children. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And let's stop. Little children, most little children, are willing to listen. They're willing to learn. They're innocent and humble. Just like this this song. Uh, I, I implore anyone, everyone to to, to uh, look at uh, this. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's this contestant, uh, a little girl. She was six years old at the time. Connie Talbot. Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, then capital T as in Tom, A-L-B-O-T. She, six, she was six years old at the time, and she was singing Over the Rainbow. <laughs> and I'm telling you, every time I, I see it, I cry. I, she's so innocent and, and, and just 
humble. And when you just listen to her innocent voice and innocent demeanor or, you know, personality, behavior, it just causes you to cry. And I'm just using it as an example. That's the way we all ought to be when it comes to wanting to understand and learn from the Bible. We have to be as humble as Connie Talbot appeared in her performance. That's the way we need to be, ladies and gentlemen, if we want to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 4. Whoever therefore shall humble himself as his little... And by the way, I implore you to look at that. It's a very... <laughs> It's very humbling to look at that, and this is quite sweet. I have to admit that to see her sing like that, that was just awesome. And, it's, and you can just Google this uh, X Factor, Connie C O N N I E, capital T as in Tom A L B O T, performance, and uh, you will definitely see something that is incredible. And you probably will cry too. Anyway, um, let me get back to Matthew chapter eighteen, verse four. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as his little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 5, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he would drown in the depth of the sea. Okay, and see, this is serious, ladies and gentlemen. These, these folks, if they knew what they were doing, because there's a possibility they didn't, but if they did... He's saying, hey, it was better for him that a millstone was hanging about his or her neck and that he or his he or her were drowned in the depth of the sea. So that that, that is pretty uh, serious, and you've you got to be careful. If you offend somebody and you, you don't come to and apologize or don't repent, and you, of course, using the word of God to show you whether or not you did something right or wrong, then you your life is not going to be... These people telling me, I know one individual saying, oh, they feel that they're blessed. You're not going to be blessed. I can guarantee that you're not going to be blessed if you're listening to me now. You're not going to be blessed. You're going to be cursed because I did not deserve the treatment. So, uh, and it wasn't based on the word of God. So people can get arrogant all they want, think that they're right. Uh, You better not think you're right. You better know that you're right in the end. Because if you're not right, then you risk your salvation. You risk your salvation. So anyway, just wanted to point that out. And again, this this uh, Bible study is about Shabbat, how to keep it, why should we keep it, and how to keep it. And I'm going to briefly go over world news today. Let's go to watch.org. Find out what's going on here. Um, W-A-T-C-H dot org. World Watch Daily, Koenig International News. Israel said expecting U.S. military response in Syria. Now, this is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. A day after Gantz Dempsey conversation. Conversation, rather, I'm sorry. Security establishment officials say U.S. expected to operate against Assad forces even without U.N. mandate. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is very serious because I'm going to show you a Bible prophecy. 
Israel security officials estimated Saturday evening that the U.S. will act militarily in Syria in response to the chemical attack on rebel stronghold near Damascus earlier this week. A senior army official said IDF, uh, that's uh, Israel Defense, um, the Israel Defense's um, chief of staff, LT General Benny Gantz, discussed the Syrian crisis with U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff Chief General Martin Dempsey during a phone conversation on Friday. The two generals also discussed the recent escalation of violence in Lebanon and the unrest in Egypt, the official said. Hegel, U.S. weighs military options for Syria suggested that the U.S. is moving naval forces into place. Okay, folks, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? I hope you are. Pay attention. The U.S. Defense Secretary has strongly suggested, has strongly suggested that the U.S. is moving naval forces into place in anticipation of any decision by President Barack Obama to order military action on Syria after apparent chemical weapons used. Chuck Hagel told reporters traveling to Malaysia with him Friday, Obama has asked the Defense Department for a range of options if he chooses to launch an attack on the Damascus government. Hegel's comments came after defense officials said the Navy would expand its presence in the Mediterranean with a fourth warship armed with cruise missiles. Next headline. Air war in Kosovo seen as president in possible response to Syria chemical attack. As President Obama weighs options for responding to a suspected chemical weapons attack in Syria, his national security aides are studying the NATO air war in Kosovo as a possible blueprint for acting without a mandate from the United Nations. With Russia still likely to veto any military action in the Security Council, the president appears to be wrestling with whether to bypass the United Nations, although he warned that doing so would require a robust international coalition and legal justification. I quote, If the United States goes in and attacks another country without a U.N. mandate and without clear evidence that can be presented, then there are questions in terms of whether international law supports it. Do we have the coalition to make it work? End of quote. Mr. Obama said on Friday to CNN in his first public comments after the deadly attack on Wednesday. And then Iran. Iran warns U.S. over military move against Assad. An Iranian commander warned the United States Sunday over a possible military move against the Tehran-backed regime of Syria President Bashar Assad. The semi-official Fars News Agency, which has closed close ties to Iran's powerful Revolutionary Guard, quoted General Mossad Jezereri as warning that trespassing over the red line in Syria, I quote, will have severe consequences for the White House, end of quote. General Jezereri did not provide details, but said Washington is well aware of such red lines. He said the war in Syria is a product of a U.S. plot and regional reactionary, I quote, then end of quote, countries, a common reference to Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Okay, so right now, folks, things are heating up internationally here in Syria and in Egypt. In Isaiah chapter 17, let's turn there, Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, 
This is an end-time prophecy, too, ladies and gentlemen, and it shall be a ruinous heap. That's the prophecy that we need to look at right now. This happened in the past, but again, Damascus is still a city today. So let's continue to look. And it says the cities of Ara are forsaken. That is uh, the name of three places in Palestine. All right, so, and then it says the fortress shall cease from Ephraim. Ephraim are, are the ten tribes of Israel, which the United States and the British Commonwealth of Nations, Canada, the countries in northwestern Europe, South Africa, New Zealand, of course, anyone that believes in Yeshua Messiah becomes grafted into Ephraim or Israel. And for those who have no clue what I was just talking about, you please need you need to go to this website www.beasandboyritam.org. That's www.beasandboyritam.org and look at your Davidi's website, which proves that the Western nations are a part of Israel. The Jews, when you see the word uh, Israel, this doesn't mean the Jews. In most cases, it means all the twelve tribes of Israel which the Jews are just one part of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the tribe of Judah, and that's listed in Genesis chapter 49. But if you go to this comprehensive website, www.beasandboyritam.org, you will get further information about that. So anyway, in verse 3 it says, The fortress also shall cease from Ephraim and the kingdom from Damascus and the remnant of Syria, and they shall be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. So anyway... God is prophesying some trouble here for Damascus, ladies and gentlemen. So we need to take a look at this and see if this prophecy will be fulfilled as far as it being taken away from being a city. We need to pay attention to that uh, and see if this prophecy, because sometimes prophecies are dual, and this can be a dual prophecy, so we need to pay attention. Okay, and then uh, Isaiah chapter 19 covers the problems that are going on in Egypt right now. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 2, and this is what's going on as I'm speaking. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they shall fight everyone against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, and kingdom against kingdom. That's what's going on right now, ladies and gentlemen. And both these incidences will lead and have something to do with the return of the Messiah. So we need to pay attention to these prophetic events that are occurring. Okay. And in particular, this is interesting because the Feast of Trumpets, or Yom Teror, is coming up soon. And, and Trumpets does represent, which I'm going to be talking about next week, a time of war. A time of great war. And Yah, or God, has allowed major events in world history occur around this time to try to wake humanity up. So don't be surprised if, if a major war breaks out around this time based on uh, what the Feast of Trumpets does symbolize. It, it symbolizes a time of war, but that time of war uh, will end with the coming of the Messiah. Now, will that happen this year? No, of course not. There are some other things that occur, but but God may allow a war, to, a major war to begin to let his believers know that, uh, give them a sense of, of when the Messiah may come. I, I 
really believe that he's going to come in the 21st century. I don't believe it's going to take 87 years for him to come back based on what's going on in the world. You have all this monkey business going on in the Middle East. You have the uh, wickedness of homosexuality being promoted in a way that it never has before. And Yeshua stated that that's a sign of his coming. That's a sign of his coming in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Verse 28, it says, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And he's describing the day. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. So he's telling you that the start of the tribulation will be similar to what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, ladies and gentlemen. And that's certainly not good news. In verse 32, remember Lot's wife. And to prove that uh, that the beginning of the tribulation is similar to, to um, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Luke 17, verse 31, let's turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, verse 17. Let him which is on a house out not come down to take anything out of his house, as similar to what he said in Luke 17 in, in the context of Sodom and Gomorrah. So in verse 18, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his his clothes, and woe unto them or danger unto them that are with child and to them that get suck in those days. So, you know, these days are here now, and, and really it wouldn't be wise um, to have children, according to what he says here. He says, and, and danger unto them that are with child and to them that get suck in those days. It's going to come a time when having children would not be very wise because it's going to be difficult to take care of those children in a time of war. Uh, verse 20, but pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Shabbat day, which we're going to talk about today. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. So these days are synonymous with what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, based on the words of, of the Messiah, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, uh, that's why I can say with confidence that the Messiah, unless there's worldwide repentance, unless people change, it's just not, it, it, this, this is going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. In this century, he's going to return. We, we, want, we should want him to return anyway, because without him returning, man is just not going to know how to obey him. Even if there there is repentance, that's just going to speed up his return, I believe. He needs to come anyway and reveal himself to us so that we can learn from his example. What will occur if the if people repent collectively, there won't be as much destruction upon the earth. And how do I know that? Well, let me quote you a scripture. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18 verse 7 states plainly, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it, to pull down and to destroy 
Verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil due to Shuvah, repent. Just like the Ninevites, uh, the book of Jonah, they repented. And then he, he, he changed what he said he was going to do. Well, the same can happen today. Uh, Yah does not change. He's the same God back then as he is today. I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Okay? And it can work the other way, too. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good whereof I said I would benefit them. So it can work the other way around, too. So, let's look at any domestic news here in this country, see what's going on. And an excellent source that I use is the Economic uh, Collapse blog. So I implore you to, to go review that with me if you're by your PC right now. The Economic Collapse blog. If not, you can just listen to me. The Economic Collapse blog. And on here he has as as uh, an additional... Um, words to the title here. It says, Are you prepared for the coming economic collapse and the next Great Depression? Are you? And he states here, they actually expect us to have faith in these financial markets after this week. So he's talking about the financial markets here. I'll read a little bit about this. It says, What in the world is happening to our financial markets? You're not going to get this information on CNN, the elite, uh, the, the people that the devil are using to deceive people are not going to allow the major networks to tell you what I'm telling you right now. What in the world is happening to our financial markets? Trading on the NASDAQ was halted on Thursday for more than three hours, and the only formal explanation that we got was that it was a technical issue. On Tuesday, Goldman Sachs made thousands of earnest trades that are now being canceled. If those trades had not been canceled, it could have cost Goldman hundreds of millions of dollars, according to the Wall Street Journal. How nice for them that they get a do-over. When Knight Capital made a similar trading error, they were not so fortunate. Our financial system has become completely and totally dependent on computers, and that means that it is extremely vulnerable. After what we have witnessed this week, how can they actually expect us to have faith in these financial markets? And what happens if these technical issues get even worse? So that's something to be uh, totally uh, paying attention to, ladies and gentlemen. You need to be aware of it. And another headline here. If you could make more money by going on welfare instead of working, would you do it? <laughs> That's a good one. Let me read this one. It says, if you could stay home and relax all day and actually make more money than you do at your current job, would you do it? That sounds crazy, but that is exact. That is actually a very real dilemma for millions upon millions of Americans. According to a shocking new study that was just released by the Caleb the Cato Institute, people on welfare are actually better off than minimum wage workers in 35 U.S. states. I can't find it hard to believe. Anyway, and in 13 states, those on welfare actually do better than those making 15 bucks an hour. So why bother? It is very difficult to find a job in this economy, especially a good one. As I mentioned yesterday, seven out of every eight jobs that have been created since Barack Obama has been president has been part-time jobs. That's interesting. Seven out of every eight jobs that have been created, I quote, end of quote, created since Barack Obama has been president has been part-time jobs. Why slave away flipping burgers, stocking shelves to some retail giant or working for some temporary agency when you can just sit at home and make money collecting government checks? Well, there is something wrong with that. Um, you know, I, I work at home, and I certainly don't depend on the government uh, to support me 
totally. No, um, I also am working hard to uh, get copywriting projects from other companies. I will be starting to do that again because I had an emergency move that I had to deal with, and I had a religious-based sacrifice that I had to make for my son. Those things are over with now, so I can focus more on doing what I've been doing for the past uh, several years uh, is working at my home making money. But no, uh, if you have that general, and he's correct, if you have a general attitude, you just get a government check and you just do nothing, that's sin. That's sin, that you're using the government money for the wrong reasons. The government money should be used to help you help yourself so you can get gainful employment or have a, a business that's generating consistent income. Anyway, yes, there is definitely a minority of Americans that, ha- that hate the idea of becoming dependent on the government and would never want to take advantage of the system like that, but that min- minority seems to be shrinking. At this point, about half the country gets money from the government each month anyway, so why not collect your share? If someone is offering to give you something for free, it is only human nature to be at least a little bit tempted. Well, I, I get you know financial aid loans, so that's not free for me to get my education. And right now, the federal government is making it extremely tempting to give up on a work entirely, give up on work entirely, and become permanent welfare check collector. Well, for people who are doing that, that certainly is a sin. But it's nothing wrong with getting work, uh, getting. Uh, help from the government if you're willing to help yourself and to use that help to help you get gainful employment or to start a profitable business. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. It follows the principle in the Bible. Let me turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7. If there be a poor among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God has give, gives thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart nor shut thy hand from thy, thy poor brother. But you shall open thy hand wide, and you shall surely lend him, not give him a free check, but lend him or borrow him enough money sufficient for his need and, and that which he should want. So they should be, they should have programs for people who can afford to pay a loan back and then have him pay back. Uh, however, of course, if there are people that are so poor that they don't have any money, uh, then, yes, you, you should consider perhaps giving to them and giving whatever he needs. Okay? So uh, this is something that uh, should eliminate uh, poverty if it was followed properly. Deuteronomy 15, verse 11, For the poor shall never cease out of the land, and people just stop there. They don't read the rest of it. Uh, Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thy hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. Okay? So God wants us to help the poor. So there's nothing wrong with helping the poor, ladies and gentlemen. It's in the scriptures. Okay. Um, 33 shocking facts which show how badly the economy has tanked since Obama became president. So you can read that if you want. Um, 18 signs that global financial markets are entering a horrifying death spiral. Those that are not preparing for the coming economic depression are getting are going to bitterly regret it. Yes. Um, let me read this. This is important for you to know. It says, The next great economic crisis is rapidly approaching, and most people are going to be totally blindsided by it. Even though the warning signs are glaringly obvious, most Americans continue to believe that our leaders know what they are doing and that everything will be just fine. But what will happen when the great the next great financial crash happens and trillions of dollars of paper wealth disappear into thin air. What will happen when the coming credit crunch causes economic activity to dramatically slow down 
and millions upon millions of people lose their jobs. This shouldn't sound far-fetched to you. Remember, this is exactly the kind of thing that we saw back in 2008. And the next great financial crisis is likely going to be significantly worse. Our economy is in far worse shape than it was back in 2008. And government dependence is now at an all-time high, even though most Americans are still enjoying debt-fueled false prosperity. We are living in the largest debt bubble in the history of the planet. And when it bursts, we are going to experience a crippling adjustment to our standard of living. He says standard of loving. Well, <laughs> standard of living. Some people understand this and are busy preparing for what is ahead. It has been estimated that there are approximately 3 million preppers or people preparing for the financial uh, collapse in the United States. And that number is growing all the time. Unfortunately, most Americans are not preparing for the coming economic depression. And they're going to bitterly regret it. And you need to read this article, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you need to start preparing because even FEMA, our government uh, department for emergency, tells each and every American that you should be prepared. And the Bible tells you that, too. In Proverbs chapter 22, says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So you don't want to be simple-minded, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, in, in, in the basic Bible English version, it says, The sharp man sees the evil and takes cover. The simple go straight on and get into trouble. You, you don't want to do that, ladies and gentlemen. You, you, you must prepare for these rough times that are coming. Be wise. So anyway, uh, you Americans, pay attention to this and prepare for those who are in other countries. Prepare. This is going to affect not only the United States, but around the world. Our economy, our, our economy is global. And once the United States sneezes, it's going to affect everybody else around the world. So please prepare and get close to God. Study Psalm 91. Recognize the Messiah as your Lord and Savior and repent and be immersed and receive the Holy Spirit and change. That's how you're going to be able to really, really make sure that uh, you're protected spiritually and physically from the great tribulation and, and, the, and the chaos that's going to happen here in the next few years. Can't predict you. can't predict what years there are, but obviously, from what I've just read to you, things are, are really, really getting to the point where uh, the tribulation will start in this century. We just don't know what year. So let's let's pay attention to these things, ladies and gentlemen, and let's take it to heart and realize you are living in the generation of the, the coming of the Messiah. So in the remaining 13 minutes, <laughs> well, actually, I'm going to talk a little over because uh, I, I had some information that I needed to to uh, present to you. So um, I'll let you know when I'm off the air, but you can listen to the rest of this message in its entirely, in, entirety. rather. I'm going to go over uh, the Sabbath, how to keep it, why we should keep it, etc. First of all, let's look in Genesis. Genesis, starting in verse after in chapter two of Genesis. Genesis chapter two, verse one, says, "Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them." In verse two, and on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created. Okay? Now, Ephesians 5, verse 1 tells us this. 
Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So we're commanded to follow God. One of the things God did was rest on the Shabbat. So that's what we should do too. However, that's not the only thing you should do on Shabbat is rest all day. All right? And I'm going to prove that to you in the scriptures. Now, Ephesians 5 verse 2 states this, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Now, what is love? Most people are confused and don't know what love is. Let's turn to 2 John chapter 1, verse 6 and get a clear definition of what love is. 2 John 1, verse 6, And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. Okay, so that is love, folks. It's not a nice feeling, although it can have something to do with that after you do something good. But basically, or clearly, love is walking after his commandments. Walk means that you do something. Okay, you, you, you are doing something. Let's look at this word in original Greek. Uh, it, it means to be occupied. Okay, so we should be occupied after his commandments. That's what we should be doing. That is love, to be occupied after his commandments. And one of those commandments is to keep the Shabbat, the Sabbath day. Let's go to um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Shabbat day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all thy work. So a part of the Sabbath command is to work. You must work. Six days a week. Whether it's a, a mother taking care of their kids at home, that is certainly work. Or whether it's a, a man or a woman that has to get out there and work. God commands us to be doing work. Work also can be defined as studying to get gainful employment or to uh, better yourself. If what you're studying is going to help you improve yourself so you can generate more income, that is also considered work. When you get hired on a job, they train you. So that training is a part of work. So any kind of training or study that's going to help you generate income, that's also work. So God commands you to do that type of work six days a week. If you don't do it six days a week, you are violating the Shabbat, ladies and gentlemen. So you have to work or be about working six days a week. And many people that I know of, or many people that I've, well, quite a few people, they work a job, they come home, and they assume they're going to always have that job, and they don't try to better themselves. And then when they lose their job, oh, they get unemployment. Oh, you know, they're shocked. You should always be proactive. You should always be trying to improve yourself. The learning should never stop, both biblically or physically. And that's what I do. I'm not a hypocrite of this at all. I always try to educate myself to be better, to be able to make more money. Because what's the overall goal of making money, ladies and gentlemen? If it, is it just for yourself? No. In Ephesians, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 tells us the following. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needs. That's why we work, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just about us. It's, about, it's to help other people. To help other people. Okay, in the verse 10, But the seventh day is the Shabbat of the Lord. How much time do I have left here? Eight minutes, okay. 
Um, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work. So you should be studying to get to the better yourselves or to create new skills so that you can make more money. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be working for profit on a Shabbat. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy maidservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is, in thy, that is within thy gates. So, so if you have cattle that, that help you with work, you farmers, they shouldn't be working either. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. There, wherefore the Lord blesses Shabbat day and hallowed it. So that's the reason why you do it. Now, let's look at another reason why we should keep the Shabbat. Deuteronomy. Well, let's turn to Leviticus, first of all. Because you know, what people do, they pick and choose what scriptures they want to uh, believe in about a particular doctrine. You can't do that. You have to look at all the scriptures, the key scriptures that explain to you how to keep the Shabbat and what it is. And that's what we're doing. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast, the word feast, in the original Hebrew means moedim, and it means an appointment, a fixed time, okay? Concerning the fixed time or appointment of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. A holy convocation uh, is a meeting. It's a rehearsal, but it's a meeting. This is where people gather. Even these are my feasts. So the feasts are days or appointed times when you meet or gather together. I'm having people who do not know what they're talking about tell me that that's not what the Scripture is saying. And they are in error, and they must repent of that. Uh, this excellent book by Mr. Tim Hegg, uh, called the Introduction to Torah Living. Page 119 of this book, chapter 9, it says, The appointed time of the Lord, Moedim. The word feast in the King James Version is tra translated Moedim. And he says that he states here about this, the Shabbat. The Sabbath, Shabbat in Hebrew, is the first of the appointed times or the feasts listed in Leviticus chapter 23 and is considered um, along with the festivals outlined throughout this section of the Torah as one of God's appointed times. So as one of God's appointed times, ladies and gentlemen, or feasts. The Hebrew word Moedim is from, and that's, and that's what's translated feast in the King James Version, Moedim, is from the root Moed, which has its first meaning, meeting place. It's a meeting place. It's a place for people to meet. The Sabbath and the Holy Days are a time for the people to meet. It's a spiritual place for people to meet. The tabernacle is referred to in the Torah as a tent of meeting, utilizing the same word. So the tabernacle also uses the same word as a tent of meeting. From the very use of this word, it is clear that the Shabbat is a time fixed by God for meeting with his people. The word Shabbat itself most likely has a primary meaning to cease, stop, and from this came the idea of rest in the sense of ceasing from one's work. Okay? So, this is a Hebrew scholar here. He's a Jew, by the way. And most Jews do know what they're talking about when it comes to Shabbat. And so I think it would be wise for us to pay attention to the, the, the teaching. All right, so, 
We understand that the feast, the word feast is translated moedim. Moedim means appointed time. Uh, the tent of meeting. That word also, let me find it here. In the Bible. Also uses that word as well. Okay, looking for the tent of meeting. Yeah, I don't know exactly how it's translated here. Huh. Okay, let me look at tent here. If I can't find this, then um, I'll tell you about it next program, but I should be able to find it, hopefully. Okay, see, tent. Looking at Exodus here. Um, tent. Let's see here. But it's called the tent of the congregation. But anyway, I will find this, and when I find it, I will um, tell you about it next week. But anyway, the point of the matter is, even without that, we know that feast means moedim is appointed time, and, and it does. And you look this up uh, in Strong's Concordance and tells you what the Hebrew word is. It's an assembly. It's a place of meeting. All right? So that's what it is, ladies and gentlemen. And the the, the example of Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ, shows us that. Now, this, let's understand another scripture tells you about the Sabbath and why we keep it. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse 12. Keep the Shabbat day to sanctify it as the Lord thy God has commanded thee. Six days shall you labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Shabbat of the Lord thy God. In it shall not in it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and maidservant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a servant, so that means if you have any employees or whatever, if you're responsible for them, they shouldn't be working either, or any servants. Verse 15, and remember and this is another reason why you should keep the Shabbat. Remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt is also a type of the world. And for for, for us believers today, when we're called out of the world and called, called to, to get out of Babylon, another type of Egypt, and the fellowship with the Father, then we need to remember this. And remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and that can be interpreted also as being a servant of, of, of the devil, being in the world and, and obeying his commandments instead of the Lord's, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out hence through a mighty hand. And he's doing that now. He's, he's calling people um, through the Holy Spirit and, and getting him out of Babylon, out of Egypt, by a stretched out arm as the Messiah. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Shabbat day. Okay? And that's another reason why. To remember that he, he called you to come out. And when these people came out, were they by themselves? Were they separated from each other? No, they were gathered together. They were gathered together to come out of Egypt. And they were all together. 
that's another proof that you need to be assembling on a Shabbat. The example of the people of Israel tell you that. They weren't called out separately to be scattered. They were all together to assemble. So, you know, we've we got to stop it with these idiotic reasonings that we have. I have nine seconds. I'm going to go off the air for those who are listening to me. But I will still be on recording. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to continue on with this Bible study on uh, the Shabbat. And um, we are right now examining Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. I was explaining the fact that God called out the ancient our ancient ancestors, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And hold your place here. And let's turn to, to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18, starting in verse 4. It says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. So people is plural, right? Not just an individual family, but my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached into heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. So he's telling us to come out of her first spiritually, and if possible physically, if you are living in an area around the world that is totally wicked and violent and evil, just like, um, let me give you a personal example. Uh, my wife and I and my son, we had to move out of our uh, condo apartment recently uh, in May because the wickedness there increased. Um, people wrote graffiti on our porch, and they tried to open our window, uh, perhaps trying to break into our home. And so we had to move. We had to make an emergency move, and God provided a miracle for us to move. So that's an example of coming out of her physically. <laughs> Uh, because if we didn't, uh, there's no telling where we would be at right now. We had a, a, a policewoman come, and she suggested that we move because the, the area was getting worse. Uh, you had an infestation of, of uh, gangs and, and so forth. When you have gangs, you have drugs, and you have uh, prostitution. You have all kinds of things happening and, and so forth. So we moved out, and we came out of Babylon physically, and we moved into a beautiful area here in in, in, uh, in the Ohio area. So uh, if you're in a situation like that, you need to come out of the wickedness, get away from it. So anyway, but he says people here, and this is referring also to individuals, but also collectively. And remember, I want you to understand something, to understand the concept of the Sabbath, for him to relate the Sabbath command to what happened in Egypt. Uh, that should tell you that the Sabbath command has everything to do with assembling, for people assembling together, not just your individual families, but actually assembling together, ladies and gentlemen. All right? Now, let's look at another scripture about the Sabbath. Again, Exodus chapter 31. Exodus, Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Verse 12, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, or Moses, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Shabbat ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord 
that does sanctify you. Okay, so hold your place here, ladies and gentlemen. And let's turn to, because I, I know I may have some people listening to me. What is he talking about? The law is done away with. It's not, ladies and gentlemen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. So do you want to be ignorant? And this is the New Testament here. This is Paul. I suggest that you be quiet. Listen to what I have to say before you start to raise your hands and say, this person doesn't know what he's talking about. All right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren... I would not that you should be ignorant, so if you don't want to be ignorant, let's pay attention. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse 2, and so the Israelites are our fathers. If you're a believer, then they are your fathers, okay, the Israelites. Verse 2, and were all immersed or baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did eat the same spiritual meat. So, they got the same instruction that you're getting now and did about the Sabbath and did all drink the same spiritual drink. But they drank of the, of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So he's telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that the God of the Old Testament was the Messiah, the Word of God. The rock was Christ. Verse 5, but with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples. So, the Old Testament is our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 23,000. Neither let us tempt the Messiah as some of them also tempted. And so, again, the God of the Old Testament was the Messiah, ladies and gentlemen. He was the Word of God. He is still the Word of God. As some of them also tempted and was destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur or complain, as some of them also murmured and was destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11, Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Again, to get undeceived about who Israel is, you need to go to www.beasandboyritam.org and enlighten yourself and become not ignorant anymore about that. All right? So let's go back to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Verse 12, so you understand that he's not only speaking to the children of Israel, he's speaking to us today because we also, if you're a believer, you, if you are a believer, you believe in a Jewish king called the Messiah. And he's the king of Israel. And the Messiah, if he's the king of Israel, he's going to be going by Israel's laws. And one of those laws is to keep the Sabbath. And so you must keep it as well if you believe and believe that the king of Israel, the Messiah, is your master. Verse, Exodus 31, verse 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Shabbat you shall keep. And this is the, the, the word of God, King Messiah, telling you this. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. Verse 14. You shall keep the Shabbat, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. That word defile in the original Hebrew is 
kala. It means to wound or to break it. So if you break the Shabbat, you shall be you surely be put to death. Breaking the Shabbat is any violation of Shabbat, including the refusal to fellowship with people of like-minded believers, if you can. Okay? For whosoever do of any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among the people. Verse 15, six days may work be done. And I'm going to prove to you this is a sin, too, because Paul said it was a sin. I'm going to show it to you. Uh, six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Shabbat of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whosoever do of any work in the Shabbat day, he shall surely be put to death. Okay, work meaning servile work, work uh, employment. That's what that's talking about, business. Verse 16 of Exodus chapter 31. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Shabbat to observe the Shabbat throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant or agreement, a continuing agreement. It is a sign. That word sign means up in Hebrew. It means a flag, a beacon, a prodigy, evidence. Okay? So it is keeping the Shabbat day is evidence that you are part of Israel, that you are a child of God and one of the children of Israel. Okay? That's, it is a sign because, if again, if you are immersed, and you believe in the Messiah, then you believe in the King of Israel. The Messiah is the King of Israel, and you must obey the King of Israel, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your place here if you don't believe me about that, and let me uh, turn to a scripture that tells you that he is a king. He is a king, and he's a king of Israel. And many people don't understand, all these so-called Christians, they don't understand who they're worshiping. And yet they say the law has been done away. Why would a king do away with his own law? I mean, does that make sense? Does that make sense for a king to do away with his own law? But that's what they teach today. They teach that uh, the Messiah has done away with his own law. And that doesn't make any sense. Totally doesn't make any sense whatsoever, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to find the scripture here in a minute. Where... One of the disciples of Jesus identified him as the Messiah. Nathaniel. And even they knew, the Jews, when he was on the cross, uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 32, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Okay, so they knew that he was the King of Israel. John 1, verse 49, Nathaniel answered and said unto them, Rabbi, or teacher, and he he's the one who should be called rabbi. Thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. And then John 12, verse 13. He took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. A king has rules and regulations that they have created for the masses to follow. And again, one of those rules is to keep the Shabbat. And you better keep it the way he wants you to keep it. And the way he showed you how to keep it. And we're going to get into that too in here in a minute. Uh, Exodus chapter 31. Verse 17. It is a sign. The word sign, okay, in original Hebrew is op. It means a flag, a beacon, a monument, a prodigy, evidence, a token. 
So it's a sign between me and the children of Israel. The children of Israel are those who believe in the king of Israel, the Messiah. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Okay? And so if you don't believe in King Messiah and don't believe in the, in keeping the Shabbat, then you're not considered a ch child of God or a child of Israel. You're not considered that at all. Okay. So I just wanted to point that out, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to point that out. Okay, so we have covered uh, how to keep, well, I, I didn't get go into detail about how you can do it now, but I just wanted to, to, to help you to understand that the Sabbath, not only do you rest, you also fellowship with people. It's a time for, for people to be gathered together to worship him. Now, I know there's extenuating circumstances where you can't do that. Uh, you may be in an area where there's no believers then God will be with you. Uh, you may be sick or your child is sick or there's other issues. You may not have enough money to travel, to go to fellowship. Um, yeah, those are reasons, justifiable reasons, why you can't do it. But if you don't have any of those reasons, or you may be doing charitable work to help the afflicted, uh, the spiritually afflicted as, as, as well as the physically afflicted. Uh, the Messiah said you should do good on the Shabbat. And let, let me... Uh, let me go to Matthew here, Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Shabbat through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of the corn and, and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Shabbat day. But he said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungry and they, and they that were with him? how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how that on the Shabbat days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you have known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Shabbat days. So the king of Israel rules over the Shabbat. So that should tell you that if the king of Israel himself showed you how to keep it, then you must do what he tells you to do. Okay? Verse 9, or you must do or keep the Shabbat how he kept it. Because after all, he is the king, right? He is the ultimate example, right? Verse 9, and when he departed, hence he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Shabbat days? that they might accuse him. And he said unto him, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Shabbat day, he will not lay hold unto it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Shabbat days. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with doing charitable work on the Shabbat, as long as it's not work for profit, and you're trying to help people, uh, heal people spiritually as well as physically. There's nothing wrong with doing that, and those, and 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 in some cases, you're you're doing that throughout the day, and you may not be able to fellowship with people. Okay, so that's another reason not to be able to 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 fellowship with people, because you're 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 helping someone that's afflicted. If there's none of those reasons, if you're not sick, if you're not doing charitable work that 
so much of it that you can't attend um, Shabbat services, although you should still try to minimize the Sabbaths where you're doing charitable work all day because you still you need to fellowship with people. But there are times when people are so afflicted and sick that you have to spend the entire Sabbath to help them. But you should try the best you can not to be in that situation every Shabbat. The overall goal of the Sabbath is to be able to fellowship with like-minded people and to also rest. You should be able to do both in a balanced way. But there are times when you can't do that. That's understandable. But anyway, um, let's go to Luke chapter 4 and, and let's see how the king of Israel, the Messiah, kept the Shabbat. It says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, his custom, that was his general custom, he went into the synagogue on a Shabbat day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Okay, and so basically I'm just reading this to you to show you that he regularly kept the Shabbat. Now, people have used, I don't need to go there, but it, people have used the, the scripture where it's revealed that he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to say, hey, if holy convocation was an actual commandment, then he sinned because he didn't fellowship. Well, again, I just told you there's situations where you cannot fellowship. He was he was in a spiritual, a high level spiritual walk with the Father in preparation for the temptations of the devil. Obviously, that's an exception to the rule. And for those people that want to use the excuse why I can't fellowship because I want to be close to the Father, well, that's how you become close to the Father, ladies and gentlemen. One of the ways is, is by fasting. And so, if you truly want to follow the Messiah's example. When you are alone with the Father, why don't you fast along with, why don't you fast during that day? Okay, and then you are actually obeying the, the Messiah's example or you are going by the Messiah's example because the reason why he missed Shabbat services was because he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. If he was fasting uh, a week, he, would not, he was not physically able to uh, attend Shabbat services because he was too weak. But obviously another reason not to be able to fellowship with people as if because you, you, you need to, to be spiritually recharged in a greater way to fast. And when you're fasting, of course, you, you're weak and you can't fellowship with people because of that. And that's another reason, obviously, to not fellowship with people. But this is not something that happened on a regular. It wasn't his custom. It wasn't his custom to fast uh, so much that uh, he couldn't attend services. So you can't use that scripture to say, hey, then I, I can just stay alone with my family when the Bible plainly stated to you in Luke 4, verse 16, that it was his regular custom to fellowship with people on the Shabbat. So, and people have, have come to me and used that as an excuse to say that I can just go ahead and fellowship with my family. And, and that's not that's not true. That is not true. And they need to repent of that, and they're sinning if they continue to believe that, according to the scriptures. And people, they get upset at me saying that, but you're getting upset at God, because God made the rules, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't. And in First John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, 
It says this, and hereby we do know him, we, we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What is the truth? Psalm 119, verse 142 is keeping the instructions of God. Okay? The law, which is uh, translated Torah. Verse 5, but whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know you have to obey it. That's only that's the only way that the love of God in you through the Holy Spirit is perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. You're not in the Messiah if you don't do the following. In verse 6, he that says he abides in him, all, himself also to walk even as he walked. Uh, the Messiah is considered God too. He's a word of God. And Ephesians 5 verse 1 says you ought to follow God. You're not following God if you refuse to fellowship with people on the Shabbat when you can. And if you don't follow God, you're sinning, according to the Scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. According to the Scriptures, the Messiah is not in you, and if the truth, the Messiah is the truth. If he's not in you, then you are not of him. And if you refuse to fellowship with people when you can, you are certainly violating that commandment, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, don't let people tell you otherwise. According to the Stone Edition Tanakh commentary on this verse, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, the festivals, including the Shabbat, are called appointed times because they are special days when Jews meet with God or believers meet with God as it were. Just as Moed in space refers to the locality which people have as their appointed place of assembly, the old Moed, the tent of meeting, so Moed in time is point in which summons us communally or together to an appointed activity, in this case an interactivity. Okay, and the holy convocations are set apart meetings. That's what they are. In John 14, verse 6, the Messiah said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one who says he stays in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. In 1 John 2, verse 6. And Paul instructed the followers of the way, to follow him because he followed the Messiah. Become imitators of me as I also am of Messiah. And that's in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. And in Acts 17, verse 2 to 3, this is what Paul did on the Shabbat. And according to his practice, similar to Yeshua, Shaul, which is his Hebrew name, or Paul, went into them and for three Shabbats was reasoning with them from the Scriptures, with them, other people, explaining and pointing out that the Messiah had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this is Messiah whom I proclaim to you. And in Acts 18, verse 4, And he was reasoning in the congregation every Shabbat and one over Yehudim and Greeks, or Jews and Greeks. I'm reading this in the complete Jewish Bible version, or the Scriptures version, rather. And then in Acts 13, verse 42 to 44, I'm reading this in the Scriptures version again. And when the Yehudim, or, or the Jews, went out of the congregation, the Gentiles begged to have these words spoken to them the next Shabbat. And when the meeting of the congregation had broken up, many of the Yehudim and of the worshiping converts followed Shaul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the favor of Elohim, which means God. And on the next Shabbat, almost all the city came together to hear the word of Elohim. Again, this is an assembly of people gathering together to fellowship. It's not you stay in your home and separate yourself from everyone else. No, you what you do, you come out of your home and go and fellowship in a central meeting place if possible, or you invite some people over into your home, as many of them did in the first century, because they were getting kicked out of the synagogues because of their belief in the Messiah, the Jews. 
because the original Christians or believers were Jews. And just like Yeshua, Paul did not just rest on the Shabbat, he preached in fellowship with those who desired to learn about the great Yah, or God. Now, in the first century, a portion of the first five books, which is called the, the Torah of Moses and the prophets, were read every Shabbat. In addition, the Torah of the Messiah, Galatians 6, verse 2, was also preached through the apostles, and it was later written and proved as the New Testament, or preserved, rather, as the New Testament, or the Renewed Covenant or Apostolic Scriptures. Acts 15, verse 21, from the Scriptures version. And from ancient generations, Moshe has in every city those proclaiming him being read in the congregations every Shabbat. So again, the Scriptures tell you that it's expected of a believer to fellowship with like-minded believers. And it's a sin if you don't do it, folks. Acts 13, verse 27, for they that dwell at your, because the, the Bible defines sin as the following. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 17. Let's turn to James 4, verse 17. James 4, verse 17. It states the following here. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. And what is sin, folks? 1 John 2. 1 John 3, verse 4. 1 John 3, verse 4. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the Torah, which part of the Torah, the instructions of God, is to keep the Shabbat, and it's a commanded assembly, it's a holy convocation. For sin is the transgression of the law. All right? So sin is, is defined as if you know to do good and you don't do it, and you break the um, one of the commandments of God, which the Shabbat is, and then you don't want a fellowship when you can't. That's sin, ladies and gentlemen. And people ask me, is it a salvation issue? Yes, it is. Because if you sin, what does sin cause? It causes death. Let's turn to James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Then, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So it is a salvation issue, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't, if you understand about the Sabbath, if you understand what I'm saying, and you still don't want to fellowship with like-minded believers uh, on a consistent basis, you want to stay at home with your family and just fellowship with your family. And I'm talking about your physical family, your your your, your uh, relative family, and not fellowship with other families. Then that's a sin, according to the scriptures. Um, Acts 13 verse 27: For they that dwell in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they knew him not nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Shabbat day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. So the, what is read on the, on, on the um, according to scriptural evidence here, what it should be read and studied on the Shabbat is uh, one of the scriptures out of the first five books of Moses and the prophets, which really covers all the rest of the scriptures in the Old Testament. Of course, the greatest prophet who ever lived, the Messiah, inspired the, the New Testament, and that also should be read on every Shabbat as well. Matter of fact, the whole entire Bible was written by a prophet. The Word of God inspired the prophets to write the entire Bible. Okay? So the the whole Bible was written by a prophet. <laughs> now, let's get to this scripture that really explains this, and it really is the final coffin here, or the final, or the, the bullseye here, to what I'm trying to explain, explain to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 27. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Colon. Let's continue on. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
what day? The day of the Messiah coming. This is a prophecy. And this prophecy is telling us, just like some people were back then, they are today, uh, some people are forsaking the assembly of one another. And they should stop that. I know of one group, they, they have Shabbat with other people two Sabbaths of the month, and the other two Sabbaths they don't. That's a sin. You need to repent of that. Unless there's extenuating circumstances, why you can't do it. But if there's no extenuating circumstances, why you just do it because you want to, that's a sin to do that. Because how can we provoke one another to love and good works if we're not fellowshipping with each other, ladies and gentlemen? How can we exhort one another as we see the day approaching? So it says, for if we sin, and this is in the context of sin, for if we sin willfully, and part of sinning willfully is forsaking the assembly of uh, of one another, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, the truth is the entire Torah, which a part of that Torah tells us that we must assemble, have a holy convocation on Shabbat, which is a Moedim, an appointed time, and the rest of the feasts are also appointed times, appointed times for worship and rest. There remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Okay? So let's understand how to keep the Shabbat, ladies and gentlemen. It's very important. I'm going to quote this from Barney Costin on page 10 of his book, God's Appointed or Moedim, which the Sabbath is listed as one of them. Uh, I quote, most messianic groups have a Saturday morning Shabbat service. There are compelling reasons for this, since this is traditionally the service where the Torah scroll is read. It may also be a more manageable time to have children's Shabbat school program, to have a children's Shabbat school program. Whatever the schedule, the scriptures exhort to not neglect our congregational meetings for worship, instruction, and fellowship. This is Hebrews 10, verse 25, Leviticus 23, verse 3, and of course, Christ's own example in Luke 4, verse 16, and Shaul's or Paul's example. If there is no messianic synagogue in your area, why not consider celebrating the feast at home of other interested families? And I quote again, there are some good ways to continue in the spirit of Shabbat after the Saturday morning service. Perhaps a lunch with the family or friends would create an opportunity to develop deeper spiritual friendships. In the spirit of rest, many prefer to nap and relax for the afternoon. That's fine after you have fellowship. With like-minded believers, there's nothing wrong with that. In our fast-paced society, people need a time for recharging their physical and spiritual bodies. End of quote. Okay? So the Shabbat should be a day of joy, ladies and gentlemen. It's a day that we should look forward to, not say, oh, i got a fellowship. I have one person say, well, I really don't like being around people. Well, if you don't like being around people, you're not. You certainly are not going to be in the kingdom of God because you're going to be around a lot of people. So you better get used to being around a lot of people. You better get used to being around a lot of people. So, this, the purpose of this Bible study is to bring the importance of keeping this Shabbat. And I want to quote something from a Messianic Jew. He wrote a commentary that I suggest you get. Um, be careful when you read his commentary, but a lot of what he says is true. And it has a lot of good uh, Hebraic or Jewish background to help you truly understand or better understand the scriptures. It's called the Jewish New Testament Commentary by David H. Stern. It's called the Jewish New Testament Commentary by David H. Stern. And this is, um, he quotes Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. He has a commentary on it. And I'll only um, 
accept a commentary if they're using the scriptures to back up what they're saying. If they're not using the scriptures to back up what they're saying, don't pay attention to the commentary. But in this case, he certainly is. In Hebrews 10, verse 25, not neglecting our congregational meetings. Greek. One can render the phrase, not neglecting to synagogue ourselves together. Hillel, which was one of the great Torah scholars of all time, said, do not separate yourself from the community. Avat 2, verse 4. Uh, many believers not only neglect to meet regularly with a congregation of believers, but suppose it unnecessary. And that's what I'm getting to feel here. They don't believe that God knew what he was talking about when he said that you should um, assemble on Shabbat. This is a very serious mistake, indeed a heresy, which endangers their salvation. It's a heresy which endangers their salvation. <laughs> and I've been trying to tell people this, and, and they don't want to listen. And, and I, you know, out of love, and they and they believe that I'm not loving them because I'm trying to correct them. And that's uh, the the Bible plainly reveals in Hebrews. Let me uh, quote Hebrews here. Hebrews chapter. Uh, see this. I, I'm spending some time talking about this because this is very important. You really, really need to understand this. Hebrews chapter twelve. Verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, or chasteneth, and scourges. Scourges means to flog every son whom he receives. All right, so, and he does that. He doesn't come down and spank you. He does, he, he uses a, a minister of God to correct you at times. And so you, you should uh, appreciate the, the punishing, not run away from it. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent of the teshuva. And for those who believe that is not a commanded assembly, you need to repent of that because it is. And if it isn't, your your salvation is at stake if you if you refuse, uh, unless you have extenuating circumstances, as I described. If you don't have those circumstances, you are commanded of God to assemble with His people. And if you don't do that, then you got some serious issues with Him, and you need to repent. Uh, John, chapter thirteen. Starting at verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I've loved you, that you also love one another. So if you don't assemble with people, folks, how can you love one another? What is love? Walking in the commandments. How can you keep the commandments towards someone else? We're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're supposed to love ourselves, but also we're supposed to love our neighbor. How can we love our neighbor if we refuse to fellowship with our neighbor or our fellow human being who's a believer? How can we do that? It's impossible. And in verse 35, it says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, plural, if you have loved one to another. How can you have one to love one? How can you, if you refuse to assemble, and you shouldn't just assemble on the Shabbat, you should, in the holy days, you should also assemble every new moon day, which is another Bible study, and also, any opportunity you can to assemble with believers, you should. It shouldn't be just a once-a-week thing. It shouldn't be a, just a once-a-week thing. All right? And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And then in 1 John 3, 1 John 3, starting in verse 10, 
It says, In this the children of God are manifest in the children of the devil. Whose world does not righteousness is not of God, neither does he love, he, neither he that love not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew of him, because his own works were, wick, were wicked or evil, and his brother's righteous. Then in verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loved not his brother abides he that loveth not his brother abides and this is serious, ladies and gentlemen. If you refuse to fellowship with people on Shabbat, which is a commanded assembly, you don't love the brethren. You only love yourself. You need to repent of that. Verse eighteen. And then these people false accusing say, Well, you only a benefit because I have a pushcow box or a charity box on my table. I have it on the table to remind myself to give. Uh, whenever I whenever I have some extra loose change to give and help the poor. So it's not just for my benefit, but they were saying, uh, well, the reason why you want people to assemble your home canard, you know, is for your benefit. I know what they were talking about, money. Well, here we go again. This is another Bible study, but one of the commandments of God tells us to give tithes to Levites, to give it to the teachers of the, of the law. Okay, matter of fact, let's hold hold your place here and turn to this is all in the Bible, and I am so convinced that they, these people are wrong according to the Scriptures, and they need to repent. I'm an elder, and it says right here in 1 Timothy 5, verse 7, Let the elders that rule well be accounted worthy of double honor. And that is uh, that means money. Okay? Money. That's what that means. That we should be um, compensated for um our work, okay, and that original Greek word for honor is teme, and it means value, money, paid, valuables, okay, and it also means to be respected, okay, so let the elders that rule well, rule means uh, to preside, all right, not to rule like a dictator, but to lead, be counted worthy of double honor or, or pay, Especially they who labor in the word and the word and doctrine. So that tells you what elders do. They labor in the word and the doctrine. And in the complete Jewish Bible version says, work hard at communicating the word and at teaching. In verse 18, I'm reading this in the uh, complete Jewish Bible for simplicity's sake. For the Tanakh of the Old Testament says, Tanakh is called the Old Testament. Uh, you are not to muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. In other words, the worker deserves his wages. And so these people are getting all upset, saying, well, it's going to benefit you. It's supposed to benefit me, according to the laws of God. It's supposed to benefit me. But I know what they meant in an evil way. Well, no. You know, I, I, I work here. This is work what I'm doing here. I'm working hard at communicating the word and the teaching, and the Bible commands you to support people who are doing that. And you should give, and you should give donations. And if they don't do that, they're, they're disobedient. And also... These people are disobeying the law because they tried to find an excuse to not give to me. And, of course, they're trying to say I'm not teaching right and not giving. Well, I am teaching right. And so they have made two great sins. They stopped supporting this work of God. And, number two, they erroneously believe that you don't have to fellowship with like-minded believers on the Shabbat when Yeshua's example showed that you must and also Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3, commands us that we should. Only in exceptional cases uh, 
you don't have to fellowship with like-minded believers. But if you don't have any of those exceptional cases I mentioned, you are commanded of God to fellowship with him. And there's no excuse. So getting back to this excellent commentary by him. Go back to uh, David Stern's commentary on this and the scriptures that he quoted. Um, back to First uh, John chapter three. First John chapter three. And he says, "My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth." So we say we love God, but. To prove that we love God, we have to do, we have to obey the commandments. The truth, again, in Psalm 119, 142, the instructions of God. One of those instructions says that on the Shabbat we must assemble. It's a holy convocation, it's an assembly, it's a gathering of people. All right? First uh, John chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that love loveth is born of God and know of God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So again, if we don't love one another, <laughs> how can we love one another if we don't fellowship, folks? How can we keep the commandments toward each other if we don't fellowship? It doesn't make any sense. And then also I want you to understand something here, or desire for you to understand it. Uh, in First John chapter 1, I'm going to read this. Um, let me read this in the scripture version here. John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning? Actually, I'm reading the complete Jewish Bible version. John chapter 1, verse 1. The word which gives life. He existed from the beginning. We have heard him, we have seen him with our eyes, we have contemplated him, we have touched him with our hands. Verse 2, the life appeared and we have seen it, we are testifying to it and announcing to you eternal life. He was with the Father and he appeared to us. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard we are proclaiming to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Plural, us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Yeshua Messiah. So when the, the assembly of people gathered together, we're all fellowshipping with the Father and the Son, together as a group. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Your joy is not going to be complete if you don't fellowship with people. You're going to have problems. You're going to be working overtime. Uh, you're going to have other, you're going to get sick. You're going to have other issues in your life if you refuse to fellowship with God's people because your joy won't be complete. Verse 5, and this is a message which we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him, none. If we claim to have fellowship with him while we are walking in the darkness, we are lying and not living out the truth. You have to live out the truth. But if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of his son, Yeshua Messiah, purifies us from all sin. So let's focus on this one important verse again. It says, but if we are walking in the light, if you're walking in the light, as he is in the light, the light is the Messiah, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of his son, Yeshua, purifies us from all sin. 
So this is a very powerful scripture here, ladies and gentlemen. It's stating that if you refuse to fellowship with like-minded believers, you're not going to be cleansed from all sin. Now, there's exceptional cases again. But if those exceptional cases don't exist, because in those exceptional cases, God will help you. But if you have no excuse whatsoever not to fellowship with people and you refuse, then you're not going to be cleansed from all sin, ladies and gentlemen. Let me read this to you again. But if we are walking in the light by keeping the commandments, as he is in the light, because love is walking in the commandments, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of his son purifies us from all sin. Okay. And he states here in this commentary here, this is a very serious mistake, indeed a heresy which endangers their salvation because biblical religion is socially orientated. The Tanakh speaks of the Kahal, assembly and the Idol, congregation, the New Testament of the Ecclesia, called out community church and the body of the Messiah. This is on page 706 of the Jewish New Testament commentary under uh, verse 25, Not Neglecting Our Congregational Meetings, by David Stern. All right, so the Tanakh speaks of the Kahal, assembly in the Edal, or the Edah, congregation, the New Testament of the Ecclesia, called out community church and the body of the Messiah, and both of the people of God. These are not mystical ideas. True, there is a worldwide spiritual unity of all believers throughout all time which transcends their physically gathering together. But the emphasis in the Tanakh is on the common historical destiny of God's people and their need to treat each other with justice and mercy. How can you practice justice and mercy if you don't fellowship with people, folks? It's impossible. The New Testament is no less concerned with the group. It commands believers to love each other in real practical ways and to build up the body of the Messiah. This necessitates personal involvement relationship, communication, and working together for the kingdom of God. And these are impossible challenges unless God's people meet together often. Let me repeat this and underscore this. The New Testament is no less concerned with this group. With The New Testament is no less concerned with the group. It commands believers to love each other in real practical ways and to build up the body of the Messiah. This necessitates personal involvement relationship, communication, and working together for the kingdom of God. And these are impossible challenges unless God's people meet together often. In the last few decades, extreme forms of individualism, and that's what this is when you just want to just separate yourself from everybody, that's individualism, which is selfish, spawn in the secular world have infected the messianic community. Oh, that's a prophecy. Yes, it has infected the messianic community and produced efforts to discredit the importance of believers meeting together. Unabashed selfishness, championed by writers such as Ayn Rand and Robert uh, Rindgren, looking out for number one, has become an acceptable part of popular culture. As the emptiness of outward conformity was exposed by sociologists like David Reichman, the lonely crowd, its opposite number, self-preoccupation, took its place. Drug abuse and the turn toward Eastern religions are symptoms. First, welcome as a step toward conscious raising, Charles Reich, the Greening of America. Such absorption with self was quickly recognized as escapism and destruction of the social fabric. Christopher Lash, the culture of narcissism. In addition to these influences, from the secular world, believers often bring with them from their childhood a distaste for organized religion, which leads them to throw out the baby 
fellowship working together with the bathwater, dead institutional forms for functionary attendance at meetings without genuine communion or genuine communion. Television preaching and home study materials further facilitate passive blessing without active involvement. Again, television preaching and home study materials further facilitate or influence passive blessing without active involvement. Thus, many professed believers suppose that their personal tie to God is the only element of their religious life that matters. But without purposeful contact with other believers, fruitful work for the kingdom soon ceases. Prayer becomes dry. The world shrinks. Not only social conscience, but even social awareness succumbs. And the person quickly withdraws into a world of his own. And that's what happens, in which costless discipleship and cheap grace prevail. A different but related perversion of true congregational meeting consists in flitting from one kahila congregation to another without becoming committed to any, and that's a sin too to do that. People who do this delude themselves that they suppose they are not neglecting congregational meetings. For such butterflies can neither become close to any one group nor work with other people toward a common goal. It says for such butterflies, and that's what they are, butterflies, can neither become close to any one group nor work with other people toward a common goal. Living stones built Living stones, I quote, living stones being built into a spiritual house. That's in First Kings, not that's not First Kings, First Peter, chapter two, verse five. It says living stones, I quote, living stones being built into a spiritual house. First Peter two, verse five. Do not flit about from window to wall to ceiling. So he's making a good point there. They do not flit about from window to wall to ceiling. Paul did not spend long in any one place, but he was a faithful member of one local congregation, Antioch, who sent him on his journeys with the laying on of hands and evaluated what he had accomplished. He did not proceed on his own initiative, and he did not interpret the Holy Spirit's command by himself. And that's what people are trying to do. The time has come for God's people to understand that spiritually means what Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer called in in his title of his book Life Together all of this should be easy for Jewish believers to understand since Judaism fosters a strong communal feeling that fits well with the exhortation of this verse and he's right people Jewish people understand they must fellowship with each other and if we want to call ourselves uh, following the Jewish Messiah we need to also understand that ladies and gentlemen so I think that's a good way to end this Bible study. Uh, We keep the Shabbat by resting, uh, doing Bible study with like-minded believers, uh, doing charitable work. Sometimes that charitable work could take all the Shabbat, but that should be done in moderation. You you should certainly make every effort to fellowship with people, ladies and gentlemen, and realize if you don't fellowship with people, you're not going to grow. You're not going to be able to love your neighbor. Love is walking in the commandments. And you have to learn how to keep those commandments toward other people. And how can you do that? How can you love someone if you avoid them? And the Shabbat and the Holy Days and the New Moon Days show us how to do that. It gives us an opportunity to grow and to become a better person. And if you run away from that when you shouldn't, you're not going to grow properly. And if you're going from congregation to congregation because this one Torah teacher says something you don't like, now it's different if they're teaching false doctrine, you need to leave. But if they're 
teaching correct doctrine and you just don't agree with the scriptures and you and you're leaving him, that's a sin. That's a sin. You need to repent of that. Especially during these times uh of repentance. Okay, fast approaching, uh Yom Teror or the Feast of Trumpets, which I'm gonna talk about next week. This is a time of repentance. Let's this let's repent of this wicked behavior and any other sins you're committing. Okay, Yah willing or God willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shabbat. Well, it's not Shabbat. <laughs> I had to get used to doing my Bible studies on Sunday. But you have a peaceful day. Shalom. And Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Take care. Again, Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.